Well, all right. Good morning. How are y'all today? That good, huh? How's everybody doing? Oh, that's much better, much better. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here at TBA, and it truly is a pleasure to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are here for the first time, I want to especially thank you guys for coming out and choosing to join us today. I want to let you know that we have a gift bag for you just for checking us out. And that gift bag is out in the lobby at Gift Services booth. You can stop on your way out and pick that up in there. It's just a little gift uh, from us to you and some information about who we are as TBA Church. So make sure you pick that up before you leave. Also, when you came in, you should have gotten a bulletin. In that bulletin are a lot of announcements about what's going on here at TBA, but also there is a connection card on that bulletin. And that connection card is just a way for you to speak to us, for us to get to know a little bit about you. So um, make sure you put your prayer requests on there, um, other comments that you might have. If you are here for the first time, we would ask that you would at least put your email address on there for us. Um, We're not going to visit your house or anything like that. We just want to send an email to you telling you thanks for coming out today and being with us. Um, We've got a, a number of announcements today, so let me try to go through those really quickly. Um, The first one is baptism. We are doing baptism in both services next week. So if you have never been baptized and you are interested in getting baptized next week, please make sure you put your information on the connection card and drop that in the offering box so that we can get in contact with you this week, give you some instructions on what you need to do in order to get baptized next week. Also next week we are having what we call our newcomer's lunch. If you've been coming to TBA for a few weeks and you want to know a little bit more about who we are and what we're about, we're going to have a lunch, especially just for you. Um, That lunch is after the second service. So uh, make sure you write on your connection card that you want to come to the newcomer's lunch. Tell us how many people are coming in your group so we can make sure we have enough food for you. Um, Men's and women's retreat that's coming up in just a few weeks. Today is the very last day that you can sign up for that, for the men's and women's retreat. If you have not signed up for it, my question for you is why? Why have you not signed up? This is going to be a powerful weekend for you women and a a powerful weekend for you men. It is going to be amazing. You don't want to miss out on these retreats. So make sure you sign up today. Uh, For men, if you've already signed up, they still need you to come by the table and sign up and give your t-shirt size so they can make sure that you can get the right t-shirt. Pumpkin Patch. Uh, Pumpkin Patch is the biggest fundraiser that we do uh, for the youth ministry. We we raise about $8,000 through the Pumpkin Patch, and it's the main way that we fund our youth ministry, and we need a lot of people still to sign up to work Pumpkin Patch shifts. Um, And so if you haven't done that, sign up for that. That's awesome. Um, And the big one is um, our Halloween event. How many of you guys have been to our Halloween event before? Okay, so you know how big it is, right? We are going to have anywhere from 3,000 to 4,000 people on on our property on that day. But here's the deal. We cannot do that without you. We have over 400 uh, shifts that have to be signed up for to work. So every person has to take part. We need all of you to take part. There is no, well, somebody else will do it. No, we need you to sign up for a shift. So you can sign up for all of that um, over here at the left. You can sign up for the pumpkin patch. 
You can sign up for it for a Halloween shift. You can sign up for men's and women's retreat all over here on, the, uh, on my left at the tables after service. So make sure you do that. Get involved. Jump in. All right. So today we are continuing in our, our series called Raiding Hell. And I know that sounds like a very heavy subject, but the truth is, is that there is a real heaven and a very real hell. And if you were with us last week, Brian Stiverson shared with us the fact that we are all created to be eternal, meaning we're all going to exist after this life. And in that existence, we're going to be in one of two places. We're either going to be in heaven with Jesus, enjoying our eternal reward, or we're going to be in a hell, abandoned by God, suffering eternal punishment. And I know we don't talk about hell a lot. We don't like to talk about hell a lot. But the truth is, is hell is a real place. It is a real place that people are going to end up without Christ. And so our goal, the purpose that we have as followers of Christ, our mission is to set the captives free. That's what we're called to do. Each of us are called to be hell raiders. Now some of us used to be hell raisers like I was. But God sent somebody in to rescue us, to set us free, to share the love of God's truth with us. That's why we're here. You and I are here as a son or a daughter of the king, as a child of God, because somebody else decided to cross over to enemy lines and to bring you back to who God is. And because of that, because, because somebody did that and brought us to Christ, Christ commands that all of us, have to be in the business of sharing His amazing love to those around us. See, we're doing this series of Raiding Hell because we want to encourage you. We want to encourage you in sharing your faith, not to discourage you. Because if you're like me, when you start talking about sharing Jesus with others, I get this dreadful feeling that comes over me. My palms, they start to get really sweaty, and I try to think of excuses of, of how to get out of here and how to leave. Because when I hear about sharing Jesus with others, I'm taken back to my teenage years. See, I grew up in the church, and even though I rejected God as a teenager and walked away from all of it because I did, I was still made to take part in what the church did as a kid. And I remember as a teenager, our church decided to, take, to do an evangelistic outreach. And there were two ways that they did that. The first way was genius. It was amazing. It was a well ahead of its time. I know that today we get automated phone messages um, all the time, especially uh, around uh, campaign time, we get those automated messages. But when I was a kid, there was no such thing as automated phone messages. But my pastor, he had this great idea. And what he did was he recorded himself on a tape recorder, and he was asking different questions about the Bible. And what we would do as teenagers is we would get the phone book and we would call every number in the phone book. And we would literally hold up the phone to the tape recorder. And we'd press play. And the pastor would go, well, hello, this is Pastor Dennis. Would you like to take a test on how much you know about the Bible? And then we'd hit pause and listen to see what they would say. And if they said yes, we'd hit play again. And depending on their answer, we would determine whether we continued or not. And then he would ask them these basic questions about the Bible. And we used these different sound effects if they got it right or wrong. If they got it right, we hit a little bell and it went ding. If they got it wrong, we hit a little buzzer and it went buzz. So, 
It was, it was high tech. It was awesome. But I remember at the end of the tape, he would ask them if they were interested in receiving information on who Jesus was. And if they said yes, we'd ask what their address was and we'd write it down. Now, I remember it was us teenagers who did this. I don't, I don't remember any adults volunteering for this high-tech operation. But I, what I do remember is when somebody did say that they wanted information, we'd get really excited about it. Because, see, we'd have to go through like 500 phone numbers just to get one person to say, yes, please send me some information. And I remember us, we'd be high-fiving each other going, yeah, we got one. Ah, that's awesome. Go, Jesus. The second thing I remember our church doing is they decided they were going to go knock on doors in a five-mile radius around the church. They'd knock on the door and ask the person who answered the door if they answered the door, did they know who Jesus was? And if they didn't, did they want an informational track about him? And I got to tell you, this one was really hard for me. I hate it doing it. I hate it knocking on doors. But my mom made me do it anyways. You see, I'm an introvert, and if you don't know much about introverts, talking to somebody you don't know is very intimidating. And it's not that we can't talk to people, it's just it doesn't sit well in our comfort zone. Plus, I'm kind of a quiet person anyway, so conversation doesn't come real easy to me. Doing this, standing on the stage and talking to a large crowd, this is easy. This is easy for me. The bigger the crowd, the better. Because, see, the crowd doesn't talk back to me. So this is easy for me, but put me in front of somebody I don't know and engage them in conversation that's supposed to lead them to Jesus, I don't do, I don't do so good at that. See, I'd be a horrible salesperson, but that's what I felt like. I felt like I was a salesman trying to sell salvation to other people. And in both instances, with the tape recorder and the knocking on the doors, I don't remember anyone ever coming to our church through those two things. And I don't ever remember anybody coming to know Christ as Savior. And I remember growing up thinking, if this is evangelism, if this is it, how does anybody ever come to Christ? Now don't get me wrong, it isn't that I don't think God can't work through those types of things. Because He can if He wants to. But what I've come to find in my experience is that very few people respond in that way. And most of the people that I talk to have that same gut-wrenching feeling when they're asked to do those kind of things. So my thinking is, if it causes such angst in me, and it causes such angst in you, why should we do it that way? Why do we continue to think evangelism has to be that confrontational and that in your face? See, I like the approach that Brian talked about last week. Focus on one. Focus on one person. Who's that one person that you've been praying for? Who has God put on your heart? And let's start with that one person. And let's start to be an influence in their lives by the way that we live our lives. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if you have an outgoing personality or you're a quiet person like I am. It doesn't matter if you're a Bible scholar or you just found Jesus today. It doesn't matter what skills or talents you have. 
It doesn't matter if you grew up in church or not. It doesn't matter what your background is. Because every Christian is called to make a difference. And you might want to write that down in your insert. Every Christian is called to make a difference. If you've got a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at some things that Jesus said. And Jesus is talking in this, to his disciples here. And you can look at verse 13. We're going to, we're going to start there. And here's what Jesus says. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So we're called to be salt. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be salt? See, those listening to Jesus in his time understood exactly what Jesus was saying because in that time, salt meant life. Salt was everything to them. You couldn't live without salt. It was the preservative that kept food from spoiling. Civilizations thrived or they died depending on the availability of salt in their area. See, salt was a valuable commodity. So much so that the Romans said, except for the sun, nothing is more valuable than salt. And often they paid the Roman soldiers in salt. They gave them salt for their wages. And that's where we get the expression, not worth his salt from. It comes from that. So salt is life. It was a preservative against spoilage and it brought flavor to the world. But see, on occasion, that salt would lose its flavor. Because a lot of the salt that was found in Palestine was contaminated with gypsum and other materials. And it would make the, ta- the, the salt taste flat and sometimes even repulsive. And if they got that kind of salt, they got that contaminated salt, they would throw it out into the streets. They didn't want to throw it on the ground because things wouldn't grow there. So they'd throw it out on the streets where people walked. And people walked and ground it into the dirt. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you are the preservative of this world. See, ever since sin came into the world, the world has been dying. See, sin equals death. But we slow that death down. We as followers of Christ, we act as a preservative that keeps the world from complete spoilage. See, if you remove that that influence from the world, the world would die very quickly. So we're the preservative. You and I are. We keep the world from dying. But Jesus warns that that preservative can be contaminated. Because if the salt is contaminated, then it loses its value and it no longer functions as a preservative. You see, if we, we lose our value and we lose our effectiveness in God's kingdom when, this, when sin and worldliness contaminates our lives, just as salt can become tasteless when it's contaminated by other materials, so can we. See, how can we be an influence for purity How can we be an an influence for purity in the world if we've compromised our own purity? How can we sting the world's conscience if we continually go against our own conscience? How can we stimulate thirst for righteousness if we've lost our own thirst for righteousness? See, we can't. We can't do it. We can't be used by God to preserve against the corruption of sin if we have corruption in our own lives. And see, these are pretty strong words that Jesus is using here. 
And he's not just talking to pastors or leaders in the church. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. He's talking to all of us. See, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your friends outside of these walls, how salty do you taste to them? How salty do you taste to them? I know that sounds funny, but the truth is you should make such a difference in their lives by the way that you live that they sit up and they take notice of how you live. There should be something different about you from the rest of the world. And they should notice it. How salty are you? See, by definition, an influence must be different from that which it influences. And Christians, therefore, must be different from the world they're called to influence. We cannot influence the world for God when we are worldly ourselves. We just can't. So the world needs salt because the world is corrupt. But the world also needs light because the world is full of darkness. Look at what Jesus says next. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. See, Jesus also calls us to be light. You are the light of the world. And where salt is hidden, light is obvious. See, salt works secretly while light works openly. Salt works from within, light works from without. Salt is more the, of the indirect influence of the gospel, while light is its more direct communication. See, salt works primarily through the way we live our lives, where light works primarily through the words that we say. Salt is largely negative. It can retard corruption, but it cannot change corruption into incorruption. Light is more positive. It not only reveals what is wrong and false, but it helps produce what is righteous and true. And by its nature and definition, light must be visible in order to illuminate. See, Christians must be more than the largely indirect influence of salt. They must also be the direct and noticeable instruments of light. In other words, there has to come a time when we talk truth to other people, when we speak truth into other people's lives. Now this, for some of you, is where you start to get squeamish. Because you're saying, hey, wait a minute. Speaking truth, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not a pastor. I can't preach about Jesus. And you're right. You're not Billy Graham. And you're not a preacher. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be in order to share what Jesus has done in your life. See, we're all called to be light. But that doesn't mean we're all called to be the same kind of light. Each of us are called to make a difference. But how that looks is different for each person. Because you're uniquely created by God. Therefore, your light is uniquely created by God. So you might be a light like this. You're a party light. 
You're outgoing. Your personality is very gregarious. You can talk to paint on the wall and have a blast doing it. That might be your light. But you might be a light like this, where your words are gentle and you're soft-spoken, but your light still shows a path to safety in darkness. You might be a light like this, where you're strong and bright and your words, they can cut through the darkest of hearts and get to the truth of things quickly. Or you might be a light like this, where your hands are free a lot, and really a lot of what you speak is how you serve other people. The point I'm trying to make is no matter what type of light you are, no matter how bright your light is or how soft it is, you can illuminate and bring comfort and warmth to a room full of darkness. I remember when I was a kid, I went to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and if you've never been there, um, it's a great family trip. You should go sometime. But this cave is huge. Mammoth Cave is gigantic. And they have lights running through the cave, electricity, so you're not with flashlights going through there. Um, But we got to this one part of the cave where there was this huge cavern, and it was probably eight times as big as this auditorium. And we are all sitting down in the cavern. And, and uh, the guide, he goes, I want to show you guys what true darkness is because you've never really experienced true darkness. Because when we turn the lights off at home, there's always some kind of ambient light that we see, whether it's from our alarm clock or it's from the moon or whatever. So we always have some source of light. But this, he was going to show us what real darkness is. And he said, we're going to turn the lights off and I want you to put your hand right in front of your face. And see if you can see your hand right in front of your face. So they turned out all the lights. And man, was it dark. It was dark as dark can be. And I'm like this, doing this, and I can't see anything. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And I actually got a little scared because when you're in complete darkness, I'm like, man, what if the lights don't come back on? How are we going to crawl out of here? There's no way to find a way out. There's no, and I start to panic. I'm starting to panic because it's completely dark. And I'm sitting in the very back, and he's at the very front. And I can hear his voice talking, but I can't see him at all. And so I'm getting scared. And then he lights a match, one match, one single match. And he lights it, and the whole cavern lights up from one little bitty match. One match. And now I could see... So the point I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter how bright or how soft your light is. You have a light to shine in darkness. And it can bring warmth and comfort to somebody else. See, I'm standing here today on this stage simply because somebody let their light shine in my life. I told you that I walked away from God when I was a teenager, and I did. I rejected all of it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And then I got transferred here in Bartow when I'm 30 years old. Um, And I was the operations manager of a solvent reclamation plant. And I had a maintenance guy who was working for me. And he was a Christian. And it wasn't that he ever said anything like, hey, you're a heathen, you need to go to church. It wasn't anything like that. He simply came up to me and said, hey, you like to fish? I was like, yeah, I love fishing. He's like, well, I go fishing almost every weekend. You want to come with me? I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. He never mentioned God. 
So we get out on his boat, and he simply just asked me questions. What was your life like growing up? Did you go to church? What was church like? And he did that over a period of weeks as we'd go out fishing every weekend. And we started talking about God. And I started opening up about how I, just, I couldn't live up to what God wanted me to live up to. And he said, you don't have to. God loves you no matter who you are. And that's how the conversation started. And one thing led to another, and I accepted Christ. And now I'm a pastor, and I'm standing before you telling you that all you have to do is be light in somebody's life. That's all it takes. Casual conversation. See, we're called to be salt and light. And we have to be ready when that door is open for us to share Jesus. See, we've got to be hearing that nudge from the Holy Spirit that Brian talked about last week. And I love what he said. He said this. He said, God is pursuing everyone and is trying to have a conversation with them through their circumstances. Our job, our job is to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and in tune with the conversation that God is having with those around us. And then we've got to be ready to step through that open door when God shows it to us. So when somebody is saying, I'm really struggling in my marriage right now, that's an open door for us. When somebody says, I just can't make ends meet, my finances are out of control, that's an open door. When somebody says they're struggling with raising their kids, that's an open door. See, we all have those same struggles. We can relate to what's going on in their lives. And then we can share with them how God makes a difference in our lives as we walk through those struggles. We just have to be salt and light and be ready to walk through those open doors. But we also need to understand that not every situation is an open door. Not every situation is an open door. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Jesus is saying that certain truths and beliefs of our faith are not to be shared with those people who are totally hostile to the things of God. Such people have no appreciation for that which is holy and righteous, and they look on it as foolishness. See, Jesus didn't give his teachings to everybody who was listening. On one occasion, he prayed, O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. See, there are going to be times when we present the gospel and it's absolutely rejected and ridiculed. And we have to make the judgment to turn away and begin ministering somewhere else. Because when people not only reject the gospel but are hostile to it, we're not supposed to waste God's holy word and precious pearls of truth in a frustrating attempt to try to win them. You've probably run into those kind of people. I've run into those kind of people. People that no matter what you say or do, they're just not going to listen. They are so hostile to God that it's impossible for them to hear the truth of God's words. And it isn't that they don't need the gospel. And it isn't that God doesn't want them to accept it because He does. It's just that the door is closed at this particular time. And Jesus says there's no point in wasting our time trying to convince somebody who isn't in a position to listen and accept the truth. 
Turn over to Matthew 10. I want to read another story to you. And Jesus is sending out His 12 apostles to preach about the coming kingdom of God. And He gives them these instructions. Listen to His instructions. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person. Search for a worthy person. And stay in his home until you leave town. But when you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the day of judgment. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it's not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Look, I don't want to paint an unrealistic picture for you. When you share Jesus with others, the clouds aren't going to part. Rays of sunshine aren't going to come down, pouring over you, silhouetting you in this radiance that shows a halo over your head. That's just not going to happen. Sharing the gospel is not easy. It's not. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. And I read that. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like peaches and puppies to me. The truth is, is the enemy will often keep the hearts of your friends, your co-workers, even your family blinded to the truth. And many times when you share the gospel with them, they will reject it. They will. But don't give up. Don't give up. And remember that Jesus, even Jesus and the disciples got rejected. In Mark 10, there's a story of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he basically asks Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus looks into his heart. And Jesus says, you need to give up on material things because that's the one thing that's holding you back from following me. And then the rich young ruler, he walks away. He walks away sad because he didn't want to give up on his wealth. So if Jesus, the Son of God, who has the ability to look into the heart of a man and knows exactly what to say to that person, if he experiences rejection, you better believe that you and I will as well. But don't get discouraged. Remember, we're all called to be salt and light. It isn't up to us to change the heart of somebody. That's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So make sure you judge your success by your obedience, not by their decision. You might want to write that one down too. Judge your success by your obedience, not by their decision. In Mark 4, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. 
The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they didn't have deep roots, they don't last long. And they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. See, our job is to be the sower. Our job is to be the sower. God makes it grow. The rest is up to Him. And I some, sometimes I think we get this confused. I think we get confused. We think like it's our, our responsibility. And we feel this immense pressure for people to respond positively to the news of Jesus. And I think of it in that salesman-like analogy that, that we have to make the sale in order to get paid. And that's just not true. I mean, how freeing would it be as a salesman if there was no pressure? If there were no pressure, tac- no pressure tactics in your sale? If there was no coercing? There was no selling? It was simply, here's the product, take it or leave it. How freeing would that be? The truth is the gospel is just like that. See, we're simply here to be an example of what God has done in our lives and we present truth to others. It's up to the Holy Spirit to penetrate their hearts, not us. It's not our job. So don't feel bad when you're rejected. But don't give up either. Because I know on average it takes six people to make a difference. It takes six people to make a difference. Most marketing studies show that it takes a person being exposed to a product at least six times before they will be interested in buying that product. And if they've had a bad experience, it takes even more than six times. And the same could be true for the gospel. See, sometimes it takes multiple people at multiple times speaking truth into one person's life just to get them to the point where they're ready to hear the truth of God's Word. Especially if they were open to the Gospel before and they had a bad experience at church. Or even worse, they saw a Christian doing something they weren't supposed to do. See, that's why we impress upon you the importance of living as salt and light in the world because it affects everyone around you. And if you're not living the way that God commands you to live, but you go around touting the name Christian, then the rest of us gets painted by that same brush of hypocrisy. And it makes it harder for our testimony to be taken serious. So don't give up. Keep at it. Leave the results up to God. And as we close, I want to give you six tips for sharing your faith. And we're going to go through these really fast because we're running a little late. But I want to go through them real fast for you. So get your pens out and get ready. Six tips for sharing your faith. Number one, start with prayer and one person. Start with prayer and one person. Again, you don't have to be Billy Graham. Just start with one person. Begin praying. 
and allow God to put that person on your heart and then pray that God will open the door for you to share Jesus with them in some form or fashion. Number two, begin with your actions, not your words. A wise person once said, share the gospel of Jesus with others and if necessary, use words. And I believe that to be true. Because I'm definitely not buying what you're selling if you don't use the product yourself. So make sure that your life and your actions reflect the truth of what you want to speak into somebody's life. Number three, to be listened to, start listening. See, you're not going to have the right to speak into somebody's life without taking the time to hear their side of the story. Because they're going to have a different belief system than you do. And that's okay. It is okay. Don't criticize it. Don't judge it. Don't stand on your soapbox. They're where they're at because they don't know truth, and that's okay. Let them tell their side. You tell yours. Let the Holy Spirit do what it does. Let the Holy Spirit work. It's not our responsibility to change their mind. Number four, if no one is questioning, stop answering. In 1 Peter 3, it says, if somebody asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. The key word in that verse for me is if. If somebody asks you. Don't push your beliefs onto somebody who isn't ready to hear. You can give them that bad experience we talked about. Instead, be listening to the Holy Spirit. He will tell you when that door is open. He's going to tell you when it's time to speak truth. Number five, keep to simple truths, not rocket science. The message of the gospel is easy. It is. It's easy. It's this. God loves you so much that He died for you so that you can have freedom in life. That's an easy message. Now, you might feel good about yourselves because you can say words like transubstantiation. But if you do, you're just going to confuse them with words they don't understand. Just talk like a normal person. You don't have to use a bunch of churchy words. Have a normal conversation. Let God speak to their heart. And finally, leave them with something to do. Leave them with something to do. Invite them to church. Invite them to your small group. Maybe that's too big of a step. Maybe you just need to invite them out for coffee or have them over for dinner. Maybe you just need to invite them to go fishing like somebody did for me. You're going to have to judge what that next step is for them. But don't leave them hanging. Don't leave them hanging. Don't speak truth and walk away. Keep the dialogue going. And so in closing, may you be salt and light in the lives around you. And may God show you the open doors He's calling you to walk through. And may you be obedient to walk through them to share His love to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for, for, for the fact that You sent somebody across enemy lines, Lord, to shine light in my life, to be salt and light in my life, God. That you sent somebody across enemy lines to rescue me, 
so that I might experience your amazing grace and your amazing truth and God, your amazing love. Father, my prayer is that we would all live that way. That we would all live as salt and light in this world. God, that we would truly make a difference in the lives of those around us. And that, God, we would be in tune with your Holy Spirit and we would step outside of our comfort zone. And, God, we would be obedient to the call that you have in our lives to share Jesus with those around us. God, help us not to be afraid, but, God, help us to charge boldly across the line and set the captives free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.